0: Good evening everyone. What a joy it is to be gathered again in the Lord's house this evening to be able to gather together as the people of God and to be able to rejoice in him and set our hearts and minds towards him. Very special welcome to all of you and it is our prayer that the Lord himself would encourage your hearts and build you up and that by faith you might behold the glory of the living God. And Just as we before we get underway I do just want to express a Special thanks to Ian. Where is Ian? He's hiding. Oh, okay, I guess I don't have to say thanks then. We can thank him later. When you see Ian, he's obviously run. Um, once was enough. So he's probably busy to spend somewhere else. But when you see him, make sure you say thanks to him. Uh, it's been a real pleasure having him. I'm not sure about all of you, but I definitely feel very filled up in the <laughs> Lord. So we can say thanks to him later on. But we have gathered here this evening to worship God. So I'd Invite you to please stand with me as we come into God's presence. And as God Himself addresses His people with the words of Psalm 113 and calls us to worship Him with the following Praise the Lord! Praise, O servants of the Lord! Praise the name of the Lord! Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun, To its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you so much that from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. And Lord, as the sun sets upon our day, we recognize that your sun is rising upon the shore of others and your name is being exalted throughout the earth from shore to shore where your king reigns which we know to be everywhere and so we pray lord that you would bless us with yourself tonight that lord you would you would bless us in the beloved lord jesus christ and that in him we would Recognize that we have everything we could ever need. Help us to rejoice, Lord. Help us to rejoice always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come, brothers and sisters, let us worship God with the words of Thou whose almighty word. the opportunity this evening to turn through to God's Word, and to turn through to the book of Ruth. If you're a visitor here this evening, we've been just taking the evenings to read through the story of the Bible, just following the narrative portions, and we find ourselves in the little book of Ruth, Ruth chapter 1. We finished off Judges last week, we find ourselves the book of Ruth. This is God's inerrant and infallible word for you tonight, here. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons, The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Marlon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years and both Marlon and Chilion died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose from her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab And with me, the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Amen, and may God bless the reading of his word. It's incredible how the Lord providentially draws all these things together, isn't it? We heard this morning about being filled. Here is a woman that went full and came empty, but we know the story of Ruth, don't we? Does it not end with the Lord filling her again? This is the grace of our God, isn't it? To take the broken and the empty and to fill them. He loves to do it and haven't we this weekend been thinking about a god who says i will be their god and they shall be my people and isn't that exactly what we see with young naomi clinging ruth clinging to naomi and saying indeed he will be my god and i will be of his people It's the same story, isn't it? And it's what he's done for you and me. Though completely undeserving. He's our father.
1: Let's come to him in prayer.
0: Do we have any children that would like to come to the front? Well, children, once upon a time, I went to Bible college. That might not surprise you. Not very exciting, I know. But I went to Bible college, and at the Bible college I went to, it was so amazing. They used to feed you lunch but sometimes you had to help cook it. But they fed you lunch and it was great. So one day I'm sitting down at the lunch table and I'm enjoying my lunch and one of my good friends there was the caretaker. Do you guys know what a caretaker is? Yes, yeah, it's 50-50. So we've got a caretaker on this property who works for the school. His name is Ken and I've forgotten his last name. So we'll just call him Barlow. Great. Bartho. Oh. So close. We'll call him Ken because that's easier. Ken. And Ken goes around the property and he fixes stuff up, doesn't he? He looks after stuff. He's a great guy. Does his job. And he was my good friend. I used to like hanging out with him. So I was sitting down at the table with him, smashing back some lunch. You know, I think it was macaroni and cheese if I remember. Smashing back some macaroni and cheese. Love me some macaroni and cheese. And his wife was with him. Because, you know, you know, wives do that, don't they? And she was sitting opposite the table. We were having this great old conversation, me and we'll call him Ken. Can't remember what his name is. Funny, eh? Ken. And we were having a good old yarn, and his wife's looking at me. She's giving me this weird look. I'm not sure why, but she's just, I want to say she was giving me a filthy look. Do you know what a filthy look is when someone gives you a real dirty look, and you're like, man, I've done something wrong. You know the mum look, when mum looks at you? yeah you're in big trouble now yeah so you're getting the mum look but she's giving me the mum look across the table and i'm like man what have i done is the food on my face i didn't have a beard then so it's it like a chin or something what have i done wrong she just keeps eight, literally like eight hours it was probably about eight minutes but she was staring at me and then all of a sudden in the middle of our conversation do you know what she yells out at me no of course you don't i haven't told you, you today she points her finger at me across the table and says you people baptize babies and I was like, oh, I was so caught off guard, I didn't know what to say. In fact, I just sat there like a stunned mullet, to use an Australian slang. I sat there like a stunned mullet, not knowing what to do, which means I was really confused and lost. I know Australia. So they also have accents too. Um, But I was sitting there and I didn't know what to say. And in fact, I couldn't even give a good answer. And a couple of days later, she came back to me and she actually apologized. But we had a conversation. She started asking me why, because I grew up in a family that baptized children and I had my own children baptized. And she said, well, why do you guys do it? And do you know what I said? I actually don't really know. I said, it's just what we've always done. And I could bet that if I asked everyone in our church, there would probably be some people who would say, I can't really tell you, but I know it's right. And often there's lots of things in life like that, that we, we know that we should or we shouldn't do it, but we can't always explain why. But we, we're fairly sure it's right. Well, today... Pastor Ian is going to help explain why we do that. Of course, he's going to talk about other things as well, but part of it's going to be why we baptize children why we, and how we do that and why we're doing things like that. So that would be really helpful, but it's going to require lots of careful thinking. And what I want you to do is see if you can write down your best one-line answer and then go and tell Pastor Ian. That's the guy over there, the guy with the accent. You can go and tell him later, and he will tell you how you got on. But let's pray and ask God to help us think through this issue. Lord, we thank you that you have revealed many things very simply in your scriptures. In fact, all of it is clear. We just have slow minds. And so we pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would teach us, as we heard this morning, week in and week out, day in and day out, feeding upon your word and growing to understand the truth, Lord, at the end of the day, we just want to believe what your Bible says. And so we ask, regardless of who we are, regardless of where we're from, help us to know the truth, that we might honor you in truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and sing Living Waters, and then you guys can find your worksheets after that. Jesus, Messiah. the offering to the Lord. Let's pray. Indeed, blessed Redeemer, Emmanuel, you gave up everything that you might come down and save wretches and make them heavenly treasures. And so, Lord, as we bring just a small portion back of what we recognize is already yours, we ask that you would take it and use it. Lord, we pray that you would bless those who administer the funds, that you would help them uh, not to show partiality, but to use it with wisdom and with might, that, Lord, uh, the needs of the church might be met, ministers might be supported, missionaries might be cared for, that, Lord, the kingdom of God might continue to advance and sinners might be saved. Lord, we pray that you would provide for our every need. We think of those who have have really felt the giving of these gifts, that, Lord, those who struggle to make ends meet. We pray that you would be their provider, Jehovah-Jireh, and that they would trust you. But, Lord, help us all to trust you, for we recognize that without you we would have nothing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Thanks, Brother Ian. Before I get too ahead of myself here, let's turn to Acts. Turning through to Acts, for those of you who were not with us here this morning, or or I suppose yesterday, I guess, first, but this morning, we took up Acts, and Brother Ian opened up the first 13 verses, and we thought a little bit about what it means for us as the people of God to fulfill verse 42 of chapter 2, which is to devote ourselves to the teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread and prayer. And this evening, Ian's going to be helping us think a bit about baptism, as I said, to the children. And so in preparation for that, we're going to read chapter 2 of Acts from verse 14 down to verse 42 the day of Pentecost. Hear God's word for you this evening. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For those people In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I shall show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapour of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch of David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw... And spoke about the resurrection of Christ. That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up. And of that we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David And for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls near to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word to us this evening, and let us come to him in a time of prayer before we have Ian come up. Let's pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you that throughout the ages you have spoken in Many diverse ways. From Moses to today, your word has spoken. And yet we recognize that you have spoken once and for all in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you continue to speak through the Lord Jesus Christ today. And we ask that you would do that. That, Lord, though Ian speaks to our human ears, Christ, you might speak to our hearts. And that, Lord, we would leave here with a burning burning and cut hearts like the men at Pentecost, like the women at Pentecost. And that we too might believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and be saved. In his name we do pray. Amen. Thanks, brother.
2: Well, I came here a few months ago and I looked out on you and you're a pack of strangers. But tonight I'm looking out on you, you and I'm seeing many friends out there. I know many of your names. I've forgotten even more names than those who I remember. But it's, you guys have got a great church. I hope you know that. This is a great church. And uh, it's just great fellowship. There's great food. There's great feasting of God's Word. There's great kids. There's great variety. You're a grave. This is great. So I'm going to miss you guys when I go back tomorrow. Thanks for a great weekend. But how long have you been here for? How long have you been a member of this church? I've asked a few people that. It's one of those, you know, what do you do for a job? Hello, what's your name? Sort of questions. And I've got some interesting answers. Some people say, I was a member of this church when it was St Andrews. And I thought, when was this church St Andrews? And I've had to learn about St Andrews and some of you know what I'm talking about and then Covenant and it's kind of a story within a story isn't it? You started this church, when did Covenant Church start? It's a hard question to answer, on the day of Pentecost? (laughs) 1980 whenever it was, 1990 whenever it was, I don't know, when was it? Yeah that one, 20 years ago but you know is it a continuation of You see, when things start, people give inaugural addresses, and you kind of think it's the beginning of something, but it never really is the beginning of something. When I thought of inaugural addresses, of course, I thought about American presidents. So here's a couple of famous ones for you. 1981, Ronald Reagan, he said, in this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problem, government is the problem. Maybe Ronald Reagan could be your next. No, he's he's gone. <laughs> Bill Clinton, his blinding optimism. This is so. Bill Clinton in 1993, there is nothing wrong with America that cannot be cured by what is right with America. Well, that's interesting. Sorry to one of my American friends. Of course, the most famous one is John F. Kennedy, who says, "Ask not what you can do for your what your country can do for you." Sorry, I didn't get around the right way. But what you can do for your country. And so those presidents inaugurated the United States of America. Of course not. It's a story within a story. We come tonight to an inauguration address. But it's not something that's totally new. It's a story within a story. And there's lots of points in this inauguration address that Logan just read for us that I could focus on. But I want to focus particularly on this line in verse 39 when the Apostle Peter in his inauguration address says, this promise is to you and to your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. got three points, no alliteration tonight, I'm not that clever this time. Number one, the promise. Number two, to whom? And number three, the response. The promise, to whom? The response. Let's go through this. The promise to which Peter is referring here is the promise that God would send his Messiah. We've seen all the way through uh, yesterday and today, if you were here yesterday, that the great promise of Scripture is, I will be your God and you will be my people. And part of that promise is that God will send a Messiah. That's the defining story. Now, when I was preparing this this week, I'm thinking, what is a defining story that I can share with Kiwis? Do we have a shared defining story? It's too easy. Well, you know what it is? It's the Anzacs. It's it's Gallipoli. We have symbols of that defining story. You do still celebrate Anzac Day, don't you? The 25th, thank you, good. Uh, We wear poppies, poppies, yep, and we eat Anzac biscuits. Do you know that Anzac biscuits, do you know the story of Anzac biscuits? Because I didn't until I prepared this this last week. I only did this last week. Anzac biscuits have six ingredients. Here's what it is. Sugar, coconut, rolled oats, butter, flour, and golden syrup, and that's it. Why? Because if you put all those things together, not only does it taste delicious, but for some reason, and don't ask me why, ask a nutritionist, the biscuits don't go off. And so women in Australia and New Zealand would bake these biscuits and they would pack them up and they would put them on ships that would go all the way over to the front, over in Europe, and they would eat them. I didn't know that last week. It's amazing what you learn in church. (laughs) That's our defining story, isn't it? I'm a purist. My wife buys hot cross buns from Boxing Day. I think it's terrible. And she starts eating because she likes them. You don't eat them till Easter. You don't eat Anzac biscuits except on April 25, but so we eat them. Here's the defining story of the people of God. Peter has told it in verses 22 to 36, and let me summarize it for you very quickly. Here's their defining story. Jesus was accredited by God in miracles and signs and wonders. But the Jews, the very ones whom Peter is addressing, rejected him and crucified him. They intended to harm him, but God used it for good. And Jesus was not abandoned to the grave, But God raised him from the dead. And not only was he raised, but he was exalted to heaven where he is at the right hand of the Father from where he sends the Holy Spirit. And for those of you who are here this morning, we talked about the coming of the Spirit and the gift of tongues. And he says, don't you realize what you've done? And I'm not talking about a hypothetical you. I'm talking about you, the people that Peter is addressing. This is God's Messiah. And you crucified him. And We read in verse 37. They heard this and they were cut to the heart. And he said, save yourself from this crooked generation. I mean, what generation do you belong to? I'm a boomer. Do you talk about boomers over here? Do young people roll their eyes and go, boomer? Do they do that here? They do it in Australia all the time. What was this generation called? I'll tell you what they were called. Messiah murderers. I'll tell you about my generation, the baby boomers. There's a few of you out there. I can see you. We grew up as children of people who were defined by World War II. The defining story of our parents was World War II. And I'll tell you what, in World War II, there were the good guys and the bad guys. It was a very binary war. You know who was good and you know who was bad. Because that was the world. But we were brought up, also defined by a war, but the war that defined us as baby boomers was Vietnam. And it wasn't a war in which there was, who were the good guys and the bad guys in the Vietnam War? We could write essays on that. It's much more blurred. In fact, we didn't bake Anzac biscuits for the Vietnam War. We protested in the streets. And I don't know how it was in New Zealand, but when they came home to Australia, they were not celebrated. There were no ticket parades for the Vietnam vets when they came back. It was a time of relativism. When we talk about the problems of the sexual revolution today, if you're a baby boomer, sorry, we started it. That was the 1960s. We no longer knew what was right and wrong. And in Australia, we had free university fees back then. It was wonderful and it's great. My children and grandchildren are paying for my university education. What about your generation? You see, belonging to a generation, and you can probably picture the boomers here already, It's not like belonging to a club. Like, you know, you might belong to a football club. I won't mention football too much today. Um, And you might wear a special jersey or something with your football club, and that's kind of part of your life. But if you belong to a generation, it impacts all of your life. It impacts your time, your career, your attitudes to family, to sex, to friends, your attitudes to money, your motivations, your priorities. And this generation, do you know what defines them? They're Messiah murderers. And Peter calls upon them to repent. They are cut to the heart as he calls upon them. He preaches the gospel. Number one, what is the promise? The promise is the coming of the Messiah. And Peter is preaching to Messiah murderers. To whom is he preaching? We can see in verse 39, look at this carefully. This promise is to you and to your children and for all who are far off. Now, I don't really like the English translation there, but I can't do any better. Because the promise is to you, is to a plural you. It's, it'll be easy in Australia. In Australia, I could do this. I don't know if you do this in New Zealand. Do you do it? Okay, this promise is to you's. I just thought you guys had too many sheep. You might get confused. Okay, The promise is to you, or if you're from America, if it's to you all. Here's the problem. When I read the Bible, I always think it's to me. It's very clear here. Peter is not speaking to me, and this is going to become very important in the sermon. He's talking to us. It's a plural you. This promise is to you and who are the yous he's speaking to we've already just been told they are the crooked generation of messiah murderers who need to be changed there is a need for generational change that is corporate now i'm going to get to baptism a little bit later on but i just want to say to yous that what i'm saying tonight i'm saying to yous and i'm not saying to you and i'm talking to yous because Peter's talking to yous. It's not just about you as an individual. But it's about you as a generation. And we're going to get to you as a church soon. But stay with me. And it's not just to yous. But it's to yous children as well. To your children as well. Look there, verse 39. This promise is to you. Conjunction and... For your children, that second category, this would not have been a surprise to them. In all the major covenants of the Bible, children are included. Let me just go through them very quickly with you. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 18 is the first time that the word covenant is mentioned in the Bible. It says this, But I will establish my covenant with you, and shall come, and you shall come into the ark... You and your son, your wife and your son's wife with you. Noah, one, finds favour in the eyes of the Lord. But because Noah finds favour in the eyes of the Lord, his household is included in the blessings of that. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7 says that Noah became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith, that is saving faith. And because of that, his family is included some way within the covenant. You think that's an overreach for me to actually be talking about baptism from Noah? Well, Peter does. Have a look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 20 to 21 later on, and you will see that, that the flood and Noah is a type of what happens in Christian baptism. When God makes a covenant with Abraham, Genesis chapter 17, verse 7, he includes children. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after him. And he gives a sign of that covenant of circumcision. Now, for those of you who were here yesterday, we, we talked just a, a little bit about circumcision, and I'll say it again today it's a strange sign to give as a membership of the covenant. But in Genesis chapter 15, Abram is credited as righteous because of his faith. But in Genesis chapter 16, he tries to bring about the promise himself with Hagar, which is not what God intended. And so the very part of his anatomy that was used to try and bring out the promise with Hagar, because he tries to do it himself, is actually cut back to show that this promise is from God. A covenant is all about God's pledge to us. And for generations after generations, the Abrahamic covenant requires circumcision. The Mosaic covenant is similar again. In Exodus chapter 19, God makes a covenant with his people at Sinai. And in Exodus 20, he gives the regulations of that covenant. But in your Bibles, have a flick there. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. Because while you're finding it, Deuteronomy 5, we're walking around in the wilderness and they're not obeying the Ten Commandments. And what happens to that generation that God enters into covenant with at Sinai? It dies out in the desert. And so just before the Israelites enter into the land, and it's not that generation, it's the children of that generation because that generation has now died out. Listen to these words carefully. The Lord, verses 2 and 3, Deuteronomy 5, The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. And just to be explicit, he goes on to say, it was not with our fathers that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. The fact that God makes a covenant with the parents, it includes the children. It's the way all the way through. Do you want me to keep going? Why not? I'm on a roll. Let's go through all the covenants. We come to David, Psalm 89, verses 3 and 4, and God says... I, will, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your offspring forever. Think about this. God makes a covenant with David and David's offspring. Who is David's offspring? Who is David's, great David's, greatest son. By including the children in the Davidic promise, God's actually including Jesus in the Davidic promise. That's why the Bible goes to such lengths to talk about the fact that Jesus was born of the line of David. And so in 2 Samuel 7, which we looked at yesterday, if you were here, and David goes to God and says, they're going to build you a house. (laughs) Call that a house? No, I'm going to build you a house, a dynasty. This is going to be to you and to your children and to your children's children. When Peter stands up and says, this promise is to use, because they didn't think of it as individuals back then. We think as a pack of individuals, but they didn't. This promise is to use and to your children. They said, of course. That's how it's always been. There's nothing new in that. And thirdly, to use... To your children. And thirdly, the third part of the to whom is to those who are far off. This promise is to yous and to use children and to all who are far off. The whole idea, this is a story within a story of the whole Old Testament, is that the people of Israel would be a nation of priests that through the people of Israel blessings would flow to the nations. I'll give you another name for the nations, the Gentiles. Looking around here, my guess is if we did a headcount, we're probably a majority Gentile congregation. People who live far off in places like, well, I don't know, Philippi and Corinth and Ephesus. That's the story of Acts. Even, I can never pronounce it, Manurewa. Is that what it is? Is that where I am? Close enough. Close enough. Whatever. To the ends of the earth. That's certainly where I am. Okay, so <laughs> this promise is to you, to your children, and to those who are far off. What's the response to this? Let's look at verse 38. They're cut to the heart, and Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Can you see it there? Have you got the verse? Look at it again. Peter said, repent, because baptism doesn't matter, every one of you. Is that what he says? How many parts are there in the command? Two. You see, this generation of Messiah murderers need not just to join a new club, they need to be totally transformed in generational change. And they need to be baptised as a sign of it, of a recognition of what they have done to the Messiah. My generation, boomers, boy, do we need to repent of what we've done. But if you're younger than me, please don't let me think I'm going to let you off. Because if you're Gen X, if you're Gen Y, Gen Z, or Millennial, or whatever comes after that. Here's the problem with your career, with your generation. You think you can choose. You think you can choose your career. That's such a post-enlightenment view. My surname is Smith. My forebears didn't choose their career. And from father to son, and if your surname's Baker and Farmer and, or Taylor, that's what you did as well, choosing a career. Who ever heard of that? You think you can choose your marriage partner, your spouse? Such a modern idea, unbelievable. <laughs> I, I've never heard of this before, I come from the first century, but you tell me on the 14th of October that you chose your government. I can't get my head around that one. Your whole generation thinks you can choose. And if I'm just speaking to the Gen X people. Let me go a bit younger. You think you can choose your gender. You think you can choose your pronoun. You think you can choose your identity. And you even think you can choose your version of Christianity. You even think you can choose your denomination and your theological perspective of what accords to you ...and your choices. You crooked generation. The Bible doesn't work like that. It's an Enlightenment view that we think that we can choose what accommodates us. John Stott says on this passage, he says... ...we have no liberty to amputate this apostolic gospel... ...by proclaiming the the cross without the resurrection... Of referring to the New Testament, but not the Old. Of offering forgiveness without the Spirit. Of demanding faith without repentance. You can't pick and choose. And Peter doesn't say repent. And if you choose, be baptised. It's very clear. He says repent and be baptised. We are not free to take one without the other. The sign is important. Let me tell you an oxymoron, an uncircumcised Jewish man. If a Jewish man, even to today, is uncircumcised, he has repudiated his Judaism. It's as simple as that. And yet we're very happy to talk about Unbaptized Christians. Look, I know, I know, I know. I've heard it before. The thief on the cross was not baptized and he was saved. Sure, that's fine. So if you intend to die tonight, that's not a problem. But it's an exception. Baptism is not a requirement for serv- salvation, of course not. But it is a sign. And if you're not about to die today, and if you're not on your deathbed becoming a Christian, then that's not the paradigm for us. Symbols are important. Today, I looked at the news this morning, I watched it on my phone. All around the world today, people are wrapping themselves in Israeli and Palestinian flags. Today, people are burning American flags. And you say, oh, it's just a bit of material. You're missing the point. Sydney is in uproar at the moment. I've got to go back to it tomorrow. Because you might have been following what happened about two weeks ago. They lit up the opera house in the Israeli colours. It's just a symbol, isn't it? Just a bit of light. Just a bit of material. Symbols matter. Symbols have meaning. I know you've got this here, you've got one around the corner, you've got a subway around the corner, I've eaten there. An American multinational organisation, right here. Again, I had to Google this this week. In 2008, it happened in Australia, I don't know if it happened here, but it certainly happened in Australia. In 2008, they started to sell Anzac cookies to a different recipe. Unbelievable. Cookies, whatever they are. The Department of Veteran Affairs in Australia cited, and this is, a, this is an act in Australia, I don't know about New Zealand, there is the 1921 Protection Act of the word ANZAC in Australia. And that was cited by the Department of Veteran Affairs in Canberra, who wrote to Subway and said, use the right recipe or stop making them. They stopped making them. Hallelujah. Have you ever been to Sydney? Have you ever gone across the Anzac Bridge? The Anzac Bridge was built and on top of the Anzac Bridge there is an Australian flag and there is a statue of an Australian soldier at Gallipoli. The New Zealand Parliament wrote to the Australian Parliament and said it's Anzac. And so after that, if you drive across it, you can now see that there are two soldiers and there are two flags. You can hardly tell the difference, but they're both there because <laughs> symbols matter. Yeah. Repent and be baptised. Despite being a millennial, you're not free to choose. Baptism is a mark that use it's not individual, that you and your children belong to generational change that this crooked generation, these 3,000 people, are becoming the first church happening after the inauguration on the day of Pentecost. That's what it is. It marks who they ha- have become. And it's taking the place of circumcision that is redefined through the cross. Have a look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Don't believe me. Colossians chapter 2, while I still speak. You see, in the Old Testament, we have a whole lot of signs. We have the sign of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and we have the sign of the Passover. We have the sign of circumcision. And the one thing that all those signs have in common is that they shed blood. They're looking forward to the one who will shed blood. But after the coming of the one who sheds his blood, we see those things are redefined for us in bloodless ceremonies. We see Jesus explain that really clearly in Luke chapter 22, when at the Passover, he actually says, this is now redefined as the Lord's Supper in the light of the cross. Listen to Colossians chapter 2. It says, In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but the circumcision done to Christ. In other words, your circumcision points to that which happened to Christ, where it was not just a little bit of skin that was taken off with Christ, but his whole body was killed. Having been buried with him in baptism. Where did baptism come from? It comes from circumcision. They're both marks of initiation, of belonging. And being raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. Circumcision is fulfilled in the cross and reinterpreted because of the blood of Jesus to a new sign, which is the sign of inauguration, the sign of membership of Jews, which is baptism. Now, circumcision does not make a person a Jew. There are many, many cultures in the world that circumcise their sons, and it doesn't make them Jews. Circumcision doesn't make you a Jew. Circumcision does not make you right with God. Judas Iscariot was circumcised. He was part of the covenant. He was part of yous. He was part of this generation. It's a mark of the promise of God upon you that the Messiah will come. It's not primarily about your response. It's primarily about God's pledge to you. And it's a sign. And that sign has now been redefined in the light of the blood that has been shed on the cross and has become baptism. And what I said about circumcision is true of baptism. Circumcision won't make you a Jew. Baptism will not make you a Christian. Baptism will not make you right with God. But it is a mark that you are a member of the people of God. People often ask me, do you believe in pedo-baptism or credo-baptism? They're just big words for infant baptism or, or believer's baptism. I don't like the question. Because it's such an individual question. You're asking about the individual. I believe in ecclesi-baptism. I believe that baptism is a sign that is given to the church as who belongs to this covenant community. And the question is, who belongs? Well, Peter says, it's to yous and your children. That's who belongs to covenant Presbyterian church. I'm a pastor. I've met many people who don't want to baptise their children. I've had umpteen conversations with people about baptising their children and, you know, I've never really said it this bluntly but this is what I've wanted to say. Well, I'm sorry you don't think your children are a member of the church but we do. We'll keep on going. Maybe you'll come around. Do Do you have children at this church or are they only the future church? When you have children of your own at home, are they little pagans which you hope they'll become Christians or do you raise them as Christians? Are oh, you're saying that's all Old Testament stuff. Really? All the way through Acts, Lydia and a household were baptised. That's a household baptism. Is one enough for you? Oh, let me give you another one. The Philippian jailer and his household were baptised. And you say, well, wasn't all the individuals in the household Christians first? Stop thinking like an individualist. It doesn't even ask the question. It's not a question. You are a collection of households. This is to you and to your children. Crispus, the synagogue ruler, in Acts chapter 18, was baptised together with his entire household. In 1 Corinthians 1, Paul says the household of Stephanus was baptised. Again and again and again, we see that household is the mark of God's society. Isn't that what we've been fighting for? We've certainly been fighting for it in Australia to say the mark of God's blessing on society, not just for Christians but for all people, is marriage and family that is central to God's purposes. <coughs> we live next door to a same-sex couple. They're lovely people. We put out their bins. We, we, they put out our bins. We water their pot plants. It's, you know, we just... They're nice. And two doors up, another family, we get on well with them, they're Muslims. So here we are, this is the street I live in. There's us, the same-sex couple, and the Muslims. Are our households the same? No way. We're a Christian household. That means we go to church. We pray. We read the Bible. But it's not just that. It goes deeper than that. Our understanding of ethics, our understanding of marriage, of sex, of work, of money. It impacts all that we do. And you might be one of those people who have the boring testimony. Someone asks you to give your testimony and your testimony is so boring, you try to make up a rebellious stage because you can't think of one. It goes like this. I was born into a Christian household... And as long as I can remember, I've always gone to church and I've always known Jesus in my life. Oh, and then one day I stole some lunch money when I was 14. Maybe that can be the disaster on the way through. It is such a boring, boring testimony. Praise God. I'm sure I'm talking to many of you here. You were not brought up as an outsider. In Matthew 28, it talks about baptising and discipling. The only reason we disciple children is because we baptise them, if you want to put those two things together. They are not the future church. They are today's church. And so in Ephesians chapter 6, when Paul is addressing the members of the Ephesian church, he says, "'Children, obey your parents.'" Baptism doesn't make you a, a Christian, but it marks you out as a member of God's covenant community. In the same way as circumcision marked out people as members of the Old Testament community, now reinterpreted through the cross, baptism marks out these people as to you Who are the yous? It's not everyone. It's to those who are cut to the heart and who repented. And were baptized it's to you and to your children and you might say yeah but what about you know ba- kids who are baptized and then they walk away from the faith well i say what about adults who are baptized and walked away from the faith they say i know people who've walked away from the church well i tell you you can't walk away from the church unless you're ever a member of the church it's not a guarantee it's a mark of membership and every time that we have a baptism here at Covenant Presbyterian Church, we are reminded as God feeds us in baptism that this is not individual faith. And we are reminded that this is a household faith and we are reminded of the responsibility that we have for those who come to bring their children or as adults to baptism. But you might be one of those people who've got a really exciting testimony. You might be one of those who, you know, you're, you're always asked out the front on evangelistic nights because you've done the lot. You've been into drugs and you've been into everything and your testimony was unbelievable. Well, let me ask you, when you became a Christian, did it just impact you or did it impact your whole family? It impacts a lot. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul's writing to the Corinthians and he says, your children are holy. It's such a blessing to be part of a Christian family. There are so many blessings of belonging to a household community. I'm not talking about salvation, I'm talking about the blessing of belonging to the church. Many years ago, we had a, a couple in our church who came from, I can never know how to say this, Gore, is that right? In the South Island of New Zealand. And. They have to roll the R somehow on the way through. And they came to us, and it's a long story. I won't tell you the long story. It'll take me too long. But no church background at all. And they rocked into church, and they had two small kids. It was a great story. And mum and dad became Christians. It was a great story. And so it just changed the whole family. And so on this Sunday... After they become Christians, it was wonderful. we got mum, dad and the two kids who were like, I don't know, four and two, out the front and we baptised not two individuals who'd gone from darkness to light, but a whole family. The whole dynamics had changed. Except when we baptised the family, just to twist the story a bit, but it's true, mum was seven months pregnant. And about eight weeks later mum had a baby it was lovely what should we do with this now second generation christian who's born into a christian household we baptized it it just made so much sense in the light of what we'd done just a few weeks ago you see what happened on the day of pentecost is that a pack of Jewish, mainly men, because we know that on the major festivals, it was men who went up to Jerusalem. They went up to Jerusalem, and these men went up, saying, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. A pack of circumcised men went up to Jerusalem. But they heard this message, and it cut them to the heart. And now that Jesus had come, and it all made sense... What is the first thing that they did on the southern steps of the temple when Peter is preaching to these 3,000 men? We know, archaeologically, that that is the place where there were the Jewish pools there, the washing places before you went to the temple. They're called the mikvehot in Hebrew. 3,000 of them were baptised. Do you want me to give you the Greek for Joshua? Jesus they had learnt about a second Joshua, whose name was Jesus. And do you know what they went home saying? Exactly the same as when they came. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. It's a magnificent blessing. It's a magnificent blessing that God pledges the blessings of the church to his covenant community. And it is to use and includes your children. And it even includes those who are far off. To all the Lord our God will call, for he calls us into his covenant community. And once that happened, he requires us to teach them, to pray for them, and to be a godly example to them. It's about God's pledge to us, and it's a wonderful blessing to his church. Let's pray. Our Father, each one of us is a crooked generation, and we have so many individualistic thoughts and so many things that it's just about me and what I do and how I respond and too many I statements. Our Father, we pray that you would make us people who are primarily about you, of your pledge to us. And we pray, Father, that you would help us to be people who are secondarily about your church, to the community to which we belong. And we pray that we would also value Christian families. Father, I want to pray for every Christian family here. Thank you for those families. Thank you for those children. We pray that as part of your covenant community that we would fulfil our covenant obligations to them. Thank you that you do treat us as members of families. Thank you for your promises to us. And we pray that you would make us faithful to that for we ask it in Jesus' name.
0: Thank you, brother. Let's stand and sing in response to God's word with the words of satisfied. And then I'll ask you to remain standing for the Lord's blessing. Jesus Christ, when he commanded his disciples to baptize, he told them to put, to put the triune name upon them. And so likewise, I would like to put the Lord's name upon you, as we were commanded to do in Numbers. So receive the Lord's blessing as you go forth into another week. Brothers and sisters, the Lord bless you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you, indeed smile upon you, and give you peace. Amen. To him who sits upon the throne.